Whistleblower fans, we are coming out with two bonus episodes on Monday, February 20th. It's been over two years since season one wrapped, so it's a great time to re-listen. And our friends at Underdog Fantasy are going to allow you to swim back into the murky waters of Delaware County ad-free. That's right, 10 episodes, zero ads. Well, except this one. Take a second before re-binging to go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Make a deposit using the code WHISTLE, that's W-H-I-S-T-L-E, and Underdog will match your first deposit up to $100. Underdog's Pick'em Game is the easiest way to spice up your NBA season. Just pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat line in each game for the chance to win up to 20 times your money in a single game. It's that easy. That's Underdog Fantasy, code WHISTLE. Mark your calendar, turn on your notifications. We have two bonus episodes coming Monday, February 20th. Excited for you guys to listen. How do you call a foul? How does the official call a foul? Unbelievable. Well, that's, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Referees are supposed to be invisible. You shouldn't know their names. But in 2007, a referee stepped into the spotlight. His name was Tim Donahue. And he pissed a lot of people off. My name is Rashid Wallace. I'm a 16-year NBA veteran, four-time NBA All-Star, and 2004 NBA champion. I forgot the team we were playing, but... Um, you know, the ref called a foul on me and he was facing the table, you know, putting a number in three, zero, foul, whatever, right? Now, Donahue is way on the other side of the court and he hits me with a tech. Technical foul on Rasheed Wallace. And like, it shocks everybody because I didn't, I didn't say nothing. I didn't argue or dispute the call. So he gave me a tech talking about something. I threw the ball at him. I'm like, well, I'm like, yo, the man is less than four feet from me, dog. If I really wanted to hit him, I could really hit him. So uh, what you talking about? I'm throwing the ball at him. So then called another text. And a technical foul on Rasheed Wallace. He's gone. Boom, ejecting me. All right, cool. That's all right. Now I'm out, going to bag, change up. I watch the game and everything, you know. And so after the game, everybody's gone and we're standing on the loading docks. So here come the three referees walking down the ramp. I says to Donahue, I said, Joe, I'm gonna get my money back for that bullshit tech you called. And he was like, what? I said, you heard me. I said, I'm gonna get my money back from that bullshit tech you called. I said, you making it too obvious. And then that's when he came at me. And so we jawing back and forth, jawing back and forth. So I go home like a day or two later and be a security hit me. Hey, um, you know, what happened out there on the loading dock? And so I told him, I said, I told that cheating ass ref that he was cheating. And I told him he making it too obvious. So suspended me seven games. At the time, it cost me 1.2 million. Years later, I'm on vacation. I get a call. It was Joe Dumar. He was like, hey, I hope you're enjoying yourself. You know, I hate to bother you on your vacation. But he was like, you were right. 
referee Tim Donaghy had admitted that he had illegally bet on games. Games he himself had officiated. Tim Donaghy is a convicted felon. He's admitted that he's bet on games. As far as we know, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that indicts other officials. We're going to wait for this investigation to run its course because we think we have here a rogue, isolated criminal. If we have a shadow of felons in our league, it'll come out. We will never be able to hide it. What if I told you the NBA's rogue, isolated referee wasn't the only one, and that this is the story the NBA doesn't want you to hear? You know, everybody thinks she, wow, it's crazy. I'm the crazy one, though, for calling what I see. I'm not saying that every referee in the NBA at the time when I was playing was a cheater or was was cheating me. But he was one of the guys, and it was definitely more than one. This is the biggest scandal in NBA history, but it's not a story about basketball. It's a story about money and how powerful people make problems disappear. I'm Tim Livingston. This is Whistleblower. Episode 1, The Rogue Ref. I'm a writer and journalist based in LA, and I've been trying to make this podcast for eight years. For reasons that will soon become clear, it's been pretty much impossible to make. The story for me starts in 2012, five years after what is commonly referred to as simply the NBA betting scandal. I wrote an article about disgraced referee Tim Donaghy, or Donaghy, depending on who's talking, which said in so many words, yeah, Donaghy messed up. He broke the law. He compromised the integrity of the game and deserves to be a pariah. But the article also addressed the elephant in the room that everyone to that point had ignored. According to Donahue, it wasn't him who was fixing games. It was the NBA. Everyone who follows basketball knows that TV ratings drive the NBA. Multi-billion dollar television contracts were and are the league's primary source of revenue. And Donahue claimed that the league and its referees had an understanding. Donahue said that refs used their whistles their ability to control a game, to ensure marquee players and teams advance throughout the playoffs. Think about it. The casual fan wasn't going to tune into the finals to see a small market team with players they've never heard of. The casual fan was going to tune into the finals to see Michael Jordan, Shaq, Kobe. In my article, I said that I believed a lot of what Donahue was saying about the NBA. As a fan, I watched those games and something wasn't right. After the article got published, I got an email from Tim Donahue thanking me for writing it. I never expected Donahue to read the article, let alone thank me for writing it. But after an hour of Googling, I realized something. Nobody had ever written anything defending this guy. 
Commissioner David Stern calls it the worst situation in the 40 years he's worked with the NBA, but he says he thinks the betting scandal begins and ends with one referee. Story released today by ESPN the magazine outlines a two-year investigation in which he looked at a sample of 40 games officiated by Donaghy and feels there is clear evidence that in fact Donaghy was fixing the game. Now a late whistle. Tim Donaghy, outside official, made the call late. This is not something that is anything other than an act of betrayal of what we know in sports is a sacred trust. The league must find a way to permanently remove the stain of Tim Donaghy. What I found surprising is that I wrote my article five years after the scandal, and I couldn't find any other writers who acknowledged that Donaghy's claims about the NBA's netherworld, the idea that this scandal could go far deeper than one rogue ref, could have merit. I replied to Tim's email, and then he sent me a response I'll never forget. It said, thank you so much. There were 20 O's in so. My kids will read it someday. My kids will read it someday. That line has always stuck with me. Reading that original article today, there are some things I stand by, some things that make me cringe. But that correspondence with Tim Donahue kicked off an eight-year odyssey to find out what really happened in the biggest scandal in NBA history. So, what really happened? All I remember about the Tim Donahue scandal is that he was a huge scumbag. Thinking to myself, there's no way that this is the only dude who's doing this. People went back and looked at calls and recognizing, oh, he did ref in those really controversial Western Conference Finals games, or at least that game six for sure. It became obvious it would be easy for a referee to fix games. The fact that he was the only person they went after was sort of a sign that the NBA was trying to cover up a bigger problem. There's an unbelievable amount of misinformation when it comes to the Donahue scandal. To break down the facts of the case piece by piece, here's our friend, Soprano star Michael Imperioli. Money. It's all about the money. But whose money are we talking about? This scandal isn't about a referee putting a few pennies in his piggy bank. No, it's about the Gambino crime family one of the five American mafia families, and how they were making truckloads of money off this ref. And it was all going great, until everything went to shit. Here's how it flew off the rails. In 2006, members of the Gambino crime family were caught on an FBI wiretap bragging about how they had an NBA ref in their pocket. From 2003 to 2007, the Gambinos and other professional betting syndicates earned hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on this one referee's games, all from one ref. The ref's name was, you guessed it, Tim Donahue. He was betting on most of the games he called during this time, and it wasn't just the betting markets that Donahue and the mafia were manipulating, it was also the games themselves. You know... Those things that millions of fans completely lose their shit over. When the story broke, Donahue was labeled a rogue, isolated criminal by David Stern in the NBA. And for its part, the American sports media took that bait, hook, line, and sinker without blinking. Since then, Donahue has maintained that he refed every game straight up, even the games he had money on. Hmm. 
Despite being an admitted gambling addict, Donahue claims that he consistently suppressed the urge to aid his bet with incorrect calls, insisting that his integrity as an official wouldn't allow him to do so. Okay. Donahue ultimately pleaded guilty to two federal charges and was sentenced to 15 months in a federal pen. And that was the end of that, right? On October 2nd, 2008, nine days after Donahue began his 15-month prison sentence, the NBA released the findings of its internal investigation. According to Commissioner David Stern, the goal of the report was to create the most effective possible system to monitor legal gambling and preserve the game's integrity. The report was written by attorney Lawrence Pedowitz and known as the Pedowitz Report. The Pedowitz Report found that 52 of 57 referees, 91%, had engaged in some form of betting prohibited by the NBA. 33 referees admitted to gambling in casinos. 37 bought lotto tickets. 16 referees admitted to betting on non-NBA sporting events all denied using bookmakers. The report, quote, discovered no information suggesting that any NBA referee other than Tim Donahue has bet on NBA games or leaked confidential NBA information to gamblers. Tim Donahue did not cooperate in the Pedowitz report. Because I want to spend as much time as I can. I'm very uh, interested in the conversation we're about to have with Tim Donahue, who is uh, one of the most disgraced officials in the history of American sports. That's Angelo Cataldi, the top sports radio host in Donahue's hometown of Philadelphia. A little baggage going, and Tim is here with us. Hi, Tim. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me. When you become a ref, there are very specific rules on what you can and can't do with gambling. Right, Tim? What are those rules? Uh, the rules when I was there were you weren't able to place a bet of any kind except at the horse track. Just the horse racing? Yeah. Otherwise, no. Right. So even when you were gambling on the golf courses, which so many refs did, that technically was a violation of the contract. Yes. All right, but they did it anyway? Yes. No one what Donahue is saying about other referees, per the Pedowitz report, is correct. Referees were allowed to bet at the horse track, but nowhere else. Sure. Hey, when did you cross the line into sports betting, and why did you do it? Uh, I, I crossed the line when I started hanging out at the country clubs and, uh, you know, betting on sports, college or pro, and then eventually spilled over into betting on NBA and eventually NBA games that I officiated. As to why I did it, um, you know, I just made some poor choices and crossed some lines that I shouldn't have been near. What percentage of NBA bets were you hitting on? Uh, over 80%. Yeah. And, and here's what really amazed me about this. You did bet occasionally on games you officiated. Is that true? Yes. Here's where I'm really having a hard time with this, Tim. You maintain very strongly. You never fixed a game. You never did a game and called actual plays that would affect who won and who lost. But what if it was close and one call could affect the outcome you would not make that call you called it straight up every single time yeah and, and in fact um you know phil scala who was a supervisory special agent said that i had told yep. the truth at every turn and it was never a situation where we had so many losses that i needed a win and in fact uh, a loss here and there was good because we won so much i was afraid red flags were going up all over the place donahue sticks this company line in every interview when asked about game fixing, he says in so many words, the FBI did a thorough investigation and exonerated me. Then he name drops agent Phil Scala, 
Phil Scala, as you'll come to find out, is a very important character in this story. After he says those two things, most interviewers don't really press him because the FBI exonerated me sounds pretty legit. Even 60 Minutes, who interviewed Tim right after he got out of prison in 2009, didn't take him to task. You're insisting that your betting did not influence the way you called a game. Why should we believe you? Because the FBI did a thorough investigation and even the NBA concluded that um, I did not fix games in the NBA. The truth is, there are so many moving parts in this scandal that most people just don't know enough to challenge Tim on specific details of the case. Plus, how can you prove that Donahue's not telling the truth? Yeah, sure, he made some dubious foul calls. Doesn't every NBA referee? I sat down with Andrew Cataldi, the Philadelphia radio host you previously heard interviewing Donahue, to get his opinion on the disgraced ref. This is how we describe their interview. One of the more perplexing interviews I ever did because we somewhat covered the story as it was unfolded. And it was 15 minutes. I almost never do more than 10 with anyone. But I thought it was a really interesting story. And 15 minutes after I stopped talking to him, I don't think I had any better handle on the story than I did before. So 13 years later, not even the most ardent basketball fans have any clue of what happened in the biggest scandal in NBA history. They don't know from Donahue's side, from the government side, or from the NBA side. And why don't they know? It's not from a lack of interest, or at least I don't think it is. It's because everyone in the scandal has something to hide. Just calling to check in. Did you get those results yet? You recording? <laughs> I am, actually. I am. That's Doug Matica, my partner on this project. We connected after I wrote the article through a mutual friend who believed we were both equally passionate about injustice in sports. All good, man. Whole family tested negative. Um, All right, fantastic. Yeah, I can drop off whatever tomorrow. All right, you want to come by at like 10 a.m.? Yeah. All right, perfect. Sure. See you then. In the summer of 2014, I got an email from Tim Donahue. He was flying in with his daughter to go to Disneyland, and he asked if Doug and I wanted to drive down and meet up in person. To which I replied, hell yes, Tim Donahue. We absolutely want to meet you at Disneyland. I mean, what do you remember about sitting down with him? I remember everything. That's one, I have an incredibly vivid memory about that meeting. I remember we pulled up to Disneyland, the Disneyland hotel. He was sitting in the lobby. We walked to Goofy's kitchen. I was totally cognizant in the moment of how bizarre it all was. We sat down with him for three hours and he told us the most salacious stuff <laughs> about NBA referees. And they all knew all this about each other. This was open secrets about who they were fucking, their drug habits, their various schemes, some of which are public, some of which aren't. And that's what was just so unbelievably fascinating that these 55 to 57 some odd guys were in charge of policing a multi-billion dollar industry. It's like Mark Cuban said, none of these guys were equipped to manage a Dairy Queen. I wouldn't trust any of them. Whenever I think about the Disneyland thing, it's what was so fascinating is that all of these refs knew everything that was going on, but only these refs knew everything that was going on. It was completely self-contained. 
And all of a sudden, we were in. Well, I think Donaghy came out and said that this was happening, but nobody listened, right? So we got to hear the stories that he wouldn't even tell the press because they were potentially life-ruining and too salacious. Yeah, totally. And I remember as he started relaying all these stories, the feeling in me was I wanted to kick you under the table every couple seconds because he kept dropping these bombs. I remember Tim Donaghy's eyes. It was like a sad puppy dog. But also, he just, it meant the world that we were listening to him. And the next thing I know, we're back in the car, or like we're about to get in the car. And you you just, you looked at me, and do you remember what you said as we were getting in the car? I do. I do. <laughs> do, you want, do you want me to say it? I looked at you and I said, Doug, I think I'm friends with Tim Donahue. As a journalist, it's my job to divulge all sides. I'm friends with Donahue now, but will I be friends with him after this? I don't know. But I think it's important that people know his side of the story. It's important for people to know, all these years later, the truth about the NBA betting scandal. Tim, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How you been? Good, good. Everything's going good. Um, just wanted to give you a quick buzz. I know uh, for a while you've been interested in doing this podcast thing that you uh, wanted to work on, and uh, I just started to think about it. And if you're still interested, I think uh, now would be a good time. Coming up this season on Whistleblower. He flipped me the Daily News with the lines in the paper and said, you know, pick me some winners. And I rattled off three games to him. And, you know, the next day he called me laughing, you know, joking around saying, is it that easy? And I just said, yeah. The FBI, far from concluding he didn't fix games, the FBI didn't look. And that's the fundamental problem. It's, it's not about who wins or loses. It's about the line. And so if you have an NBA referee, the NBA uh, basketball game is the easiest game to work with. Of those seven losses that Timmy lost, like I left two losses out of my book because they were Scott Foster's games. I never really talk about officiating or anything like that. Scott Foster, man, he's uh, just rude and arrogant. Like, I don't think he should be able to even officiate our games anymore. We always had a thing in our mind that what if there's somebody out there really trying to dictate these games? This is big business. And the question is, is it being acted out fairly? For well over a decade, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban has been one of the NBA's most vociferous critics of its officiating system. Out of a million refs around the world, we have this incestuous group of refs that we've hired. Literally, brothers, spouses, same high school, same cities. I said, well, when your team's better, you'll get those calls. And he said, why do we have to wait? Why should anybody have to wait? There was a timeout called, and Phil Jackson rushed me, and Michael Jordan rushed me. And Phil Jackson said, real arrogantly, they may want that call to travel. And then he pointed at Michael Jordan, they said, but they don't want that called on him. I 100% believe that they can program the outcome of a game by who they select as the referee. Whistleblower is a production of Tenderfoot TV and Whistleblower Media in association with Cadence 13. Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV. 
Myself and Doug Matica are creators and executive producers on behalf of Whistleblower Media. Our co-executive producer is Colo Casio. Our lead producer is Alex Vespasted. Co-producers are Mason Lindsay, Matt Keller, and Paul Kasheri. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Cooper Skinner. Original music is by Makeup and Vanity Set. Cover design and illustration by Mr. Soul. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and Grace Royer at UTA, Ryan Nord in the Nord Group, Beck Media and Marketing, Station 16, Paul Anderson and Nick Pinella of Workhouse Media, Max Hacker and John Bagakis, the teams at Tenderfoot TV and Cadence 13, and to Michael Imperioli. Check out his new podcast, Talking Sopranos, wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, thank you to Liz Livingston and Tali Ravid for your invaluable insights and for never letting us give up on this story. For more information about the podcast, visit whistleblowerpod.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, five stars preferably, and review. Thanks. Thanks.